Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Total Reboot Ripoff Edition, starring me, Cameron James, as myself, and Dr. Professor Alexi Toliopoulos as the kid. Yeah, I'm the little kid. I'm a little rascal. I'm a. I love to wear my baseball back to the side. I've got a yo-yo. I've got a slingshot tucked into my little back pocket. <laughs> and let me tell you, I'm not wearing any pants. Jeez, Louise. <laughs> so your back pocket is 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 it what I think it is? It's all natural, and I dare not disclose any further. <laughs> the crevice that dare not speak its name. <laughs> The forbidden crevice. We all know what it is. Nature's pocket, and it's beautiful, and we've all got one. Except for me, unfortunately. Cam has got a flat back. He's got a flat back. (laughs) This is a good way to start this episode, um, because we're going to be delving into the world of the wacky, the weird, and the wonderful... We are indeed. We're definitely going to be talking about anatomy on this episode, so it's only proper that we started there. And That's honestly, true. I feel so privileged to be talking about today's ripoff with you because it is—it's an iconic ripoff. It's been accused of being a ripoff since the moment it was brought down to our world from out in upper space and Jim mm. Cameron's beautiful genius mind. Uh, but of all things. For me to get to talk to you, who is maybe this country's foremost CGI cat person aficionado, to talk to them about maybe the other (laughs) ultimate CGI cat person movie, it's a privilege, dude. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to tell you, um, I have a lot of feelings about that and a lot of things I'm going to discuss. But before we get into James Cameron's Avatar, in fact, before we even get into what this movie is ripping off... Mm -hmm. Let's talk about our experiences with this film. Alexi, 2009. Yes. You're seeing billboards all around your beautiful city advertising this big blue mm-hmm. 3D spectacular. How do you feel? Honestly, I I really I was swept up, dude. I don't there's no way other way for me to say it that I had Pandora fever. I was overcome with Avatar. I was excited for it. Because, you know, it seemed like this humongous thing coming out. And it was, I was graduating high school when this movie came out. So I'm a teenager, yep. I'm a screenager, coming of age in this world. I'm obsessed with screens, I'm obsessed with cinema. And I remember Avatar coming out, and I'm not, especially, I'm not a big James Cameron fan. Like, he, I appreciate his work, I appreciate the things that he does for cinema and the way that he brings it to the next level every freaking time. And I, 
But I don't have like he's not one of my guys, dude. That's all I can really say. He's not a film I could mm. get excited about. But this in particular, as like we kind of we were stuck in like this 3D rut in 2009, where there's like this slew of 3D movies coming out, and like it trying to become the next technology. And when I saw this happening, and it being like heralded as actually a way into the future and actually a next step forward in entertainment and bringing cinema into a third dimension finally cinema that i could almost touch and Mm. this was uh, so exciting and i remember seeing it in the cinema so vividly and having that thought like when there's everyone's flying around on those dragons and i had the thought i'm seeing this generation star wars Wow. I had that thought. Wow. And I went to see with my girlfriend at the time. And I remember after it left, I was like really... I was on another plane of existence. <laughs> you were on Pandora. I was on Pandora, dude. I was fully... I was... Dude, I was blew the way. That's the... God's the honest truth. I was really like... That was something spectacular. And I started talking about like... The, the ability for film to be a, a form of art that is like a time machine a travel machine it can transcend it can take you to another world and I was like I was like really going in on that and um, I'll never forget this my girlfriend said that she didn't believe film was art <laughs> and like that stuck with me years later where I've just been like God, I should have just known from there that she fucking hated me. Like, I should have. <laughs> like, now it seems so obvious. Like, why would you say that to me? If there's, It's hard to believe that someone would actually believe that they don't think films are art. But to, to just say that to me, of all people, she must have hated me. That's all I can think yeah, about. Yeah, that's an attack on you as a person. <laughs> that's an attack on my freaking soul, dude. That sucks, man. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. But... So I have a history with this film. I hadn't never seen it since. Oh, the only other times I'd seen this, the only other times I'd seen this movie since that moment was in like the year or two after at the video store that I worked at where I would play it on the screens to display and advertise Blu-ray technology. Cool, cool. Was this like one of those movies that people would point to and go, that's that's like peak Blu-ray. Yeah, people are going like, "This is the display movie. This is I mean, how the you people check." People are freaking blue in this movie, <laughs> dude. It's a conspiracy theory in the Blu-ray community that that Blu-ray <laughs> exists because of Avatar. That's why they're blue. Okay, <laughs> that's why I was able to beat HD DVD during their war in two thousand and eight of who would become the supreme reigning new physical media format, and Blu-ray won out because <laughs> the world was freaking blue back then. Well, dude, I know a lot about Blu-ray technology, and from what I've heard in my independent research, it's called Blu-ray because the first ever Blu-rays that came out were Avatar, the movie, Mm -hmm. and the box set of Everybody Loves Raymond. (laughs) Yeah, that was famously, they said, we've got to try two things out. One, we've got to do something with high specs. Uh, so I guess we'll do Avatar, and then we've got to find something mid-range. Why don't we... High laughs. Why don't we... (laughs) Something with a high laugh ratio. (laughs) So we're going to remaster all seven, eight, or eight series of Everybody Loves Raymond into high-definition format, and we're going to remove the laugh track, and we're going to make it widescreen. Dude, you got to check it out. Everybody Loves Raymond on Blu-ray. You can see every freaking mole on Peter Boyle's head. <laughs> and you'd be surprised how many moles he has. It could be a lot or it could be a little, but either way, you're going to be shocked to find out how many freaking moles Peter Boyle has. 
And you'd think you'd have boils, but they're moles. <laughs> Doris Roberts in HD? There's nothing like it. <laughs> she's stunning, dude. In HD, you're like, holy shit, she's an angel. <laughs> I'm on Raymond's side now. I know Deborah gets gruff from her, but I look at her and I'm like, that's a world-class beauty. Well, it's exciting to talk Blu-rays with you, man. Uh, unfortunately, I I have a slightly different history with this movie mm. in that I have zero history I, with this movie. How did you not see Avatar when it came out? It's the highest grossing movie of all time. I know. It's one of those things where it, it came out and everyone was talking about it and I kept putting it off and putting it off because I didn't really get sucked in by the promotional mm. material at all. And I wasn't like a big James Cameron fan. And also, really? my my freaking name is similar to James <laughs> yeah, Cameron. Yes. And I think I might have been in peak, like, <laughs> resenting that <laughs> mode. Really? So people are like, oh, Cameron James, you must be going to check out the new James Cameron. Or, oh, Cameron James, your new movie's out. Sick. Uh, <laughs> are you going to watch it backwards because your name is his backwards? Are you going to have to ask us like, to play no, the No, bloody hell. Give me a chance. My name isn't James Cameron. <laughs> For frick's sake, it's Cameron James. <laughs> oh, good grief, guys. Cut me some freaking slack Cut over here. a pair of slacks, okay? That's, my name's not the same as him. Yes, it is similar. Neither of us have a first or last name. So I like I avoided it, and then it was gone. Mm. And then when it came out on Blu-ray and home media, I just wasn't interested in seeing it yes. on a normal TV because everyone kept saying, "You no, it's a it's a cinema experience. There's no point." Yeah. So I completely missed it. The first 3D movie I ever saw in cinemas was Toy Story Three, wow. 2010. Great movie, great year. Um, great movie, great year. And then not long after that. I got a job at Animal Logic mm-hmm. working on a 3D movie where James Cameron was a technical 3D consultant wow. on the film. And did he ask you, oh, your name's similar to Why didn't you see mine. Avatar? <laughs> your name's similar to mine. Why didn't you see Avatar? He said, hey, similar name. Why didn't you go see Avatar, bro? And I said, cut me some freaking slack, Jim. I didn't. I had other stuff going on, man. I was getting laid this year. <laughs> so I just completely avoided it. And then over the years, it's sort of become like a, a source of pride of mine wow. that I never saw Avatar and that I've never caved. I've had a lot of opportunities to watch it. And I have said no to each and every one of them. And I've felt stronger wow. every time I've said <laughs> you no. You sound like a guy that has held on to his virginity. A lot of opportunities have come up, but, you know, yeah, it just wasn't the right time. I've said no, and it's part of me now. I've been doing No Nut November with Avatar yeah. for 11 years. Wow. Your balls are finally drained of their blueness, but the rest of your body has accepted that blueness. So I was I was pretty bummed out when you said we were doing this one because I I thought well there you go that's eleven years sobriety <laughs> down the drain you got to drop your blue chips back off but I I finally watched it this week I watched it the way that James Cameron intended I watched it on my thirty three inch <laughs> uh, <laughs> flat screen television oh. uh, and then at some point. I had to go out and do some errands, so I continued watching it on my phone. Get out. That's crazy. <laughs> That's actually crazy. 
already I was like, when you told me, when we decided it was going to be Avatar, and it was a mutual decision. Someone in our Patreon group suggested it for a ripoff, our ripoff Palooza or whatever. We never came up with a name for it. And when I when we came up like this could be the one. I was like, I think it's so funny that you're going to watch this on your little digital TV. Because your TV, like, you know, I have a massive TV. I take pride in it. My TV is a source of pride for me, okay? It gives me energy. I think I might be part TV. I think when I watch the TV, the energy goes in through my eyes and it really, like, it makes me who I am. It gives me my, my yeah. positive energy. I think, I think I have radiation poisoning. <laughs> but <laughs> your TV is like a digital photo frame. <laughs> My TV is the normal size that people should have. It's 33 or 36 inches. It doesn't take up too much space. It's not the focus of the room. You walk into my house, you look around the room. Mm. The things that take your focus are the beautiful warmth of the salt lamps, the energy... The plants. I have gorgeous plants lining the walls. I've got plants. And then... And then, uh, and then eventually there's art as well on the walls. Eventually you'll notice the TV and you might say, that's smaller than I thought your TV would be, mm. considering you review movies for almost a living. And to that I would say, it's the normal size. It's normal. <laughs> but you do if actually you have watch- a big TV, you are a glutton and I do not respect <laughs> you. <laughs> I, I deserve respect. Yeah, well, you get it mostly, but like when you brag about your big TV and you shit on mine, fuck you, dude. <laughs> Did you actually you, watch dude. Avatar on your phone? I had to. I had to go out and do some errands. So I, I can't walked. even imagine like what I is... I've got to tell you, at that point, I was taking the piss a little bit. I was like, well, fuck you, James Cameron. <laughs> I'm going to watch this, but in the phone. most disrespectful way to you. <laughs> it was a bit disrespectful. But this, of course, has like always been thought of as a ripoff, and it's very easy to see mm. why. It's like in a long tradition of films of like that has been commonly described as like the white savior thing, where a, a man from a white colonized nation will come to a native indigenous culture and rescue them from the colonization. Basically, is like the is what that is. And of course, like movies like Fern Gully, which is like a beloved childhood classic, Pocahontas, Dances with Wolves, like the 90s was like really peak time for reawakening what this genre was or what this, not even a genre, but you like this, this generic archetype of film. That's true. Uh, that's one thing I'd always known about this movie as well. When it came out, people were calling it, you know, like Avatar, The Last Rainforest and stuff like that. And there was that meme uh, where they, someone had taken the synopsis of Pocahontas and just scribbled out words and replaced them with like Navi and mm. Jake Sully and shit like yeah. that. <laughs> and uh, and so I was always very aware of that. I, but having said that, I've never seen Dances with Wolves, mm. and I've also never seen like. Uh, what's that Matt Damon one? Great Wall or oh, Last yeah. Samurai? There's all those kind of movies that are, that take on that form of genre. It, it, I don't know if you can say that it's ripping it off if it's a story archetype. Yes, but I will say, like tonally, it does feel like a movie that probably should have been made in the nineties. I would also say that of all of those, Dances with Wolves is a one where it is. 
closest to like a one-for-one remake where it's like you could map this together. The same things would happen at the same points. But I think mm. that this is a much more successful version of Dances of Wolves. Dances of Wolves is a movie that we had to do in like our social studies class in high school. And I remember even back then just going like, this is so cringy. This is so... And like, it's to me, it's, there's a lot of bad movies that have one best picture at the Oscars. To me, Dances of Wolves is like right on top of that list. Like, I think I don't have... I have as little respect for that movie as you would for a fellow with a ginormous, gorgeous television. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i don't even know i know it's a kevin costner movie and i assume he's mm. a white fella who becomes part of a native american family or some shit yeah basically it's it is like it is allegorical to pocahontas basically right, right. I think of all of the ones that are like the one for one where it's like exactly like this is true, this is, or this is based on a real culture and all that stuff. The one that I feel like does it the most sensitively and in the best way of the, of this style of movie probably is Terrence Malick's The New World, which is literally the Pocahontas story. I think that's the only one. The Disney Pocahontas, I, I remember liking it a lot as a kid and I think I really like that soundtrack for it, but it's not one I've revisited. No, I've I've never watched it since I was young, but I love um, I love Colors of the Wind. Yeah, I wish it was in this movie. That would be incredible if this at the end of this movie, like, well, now it's a Disney movie. We're gonna put Colors of the Wind in it. <laughs> if the Disney Plus version of this movie has Colors of the Wind, uh, it would be incredible. Sung by Jake Sully. Oh, that's another thing. Okay, advertise this reputation as like the biggest movie. Uh, of all time, like the biggest, highest grossing film, and people always accuse of having no cultural footprint. I'm like, okay, f- fuck you for one. That's bullshit. We saw so many movies come out after it that deployed like 3D technology, and like we saw this huge wave of how this move, like this movie, affected the movie going experience. That is a cultural footprint. Yes, Hugo. Okay, Hugo come out after this. Hugo, fuck yourself. Okay, that is proof that it's got <laughs> cultural relevance. Jackass 3D. Jackass 3D, that they use the Avatar cameras for it. That wouldn't exist without it. You've got shit. Like, so many movies that were post-converted to 3D. Like, it became... It did have a negative aspect as well. It's weird that there aren't more films that feel like a rip-off of Avatar exactly. Like, the only one that I can think of is, like, John Carter. Do you remember John Carter? Yeah, yeah. I never saw it, but I remember seeing the big posters for it everywhere. And thinking, I w- ooh, I can't wait to never see that. <laughs> I was really excited for John Carter. I liked Edgar Rice Burroughs, like who also wrote Tarzan mm. and like wrote the John Carter of Mars, like whatever little serialized books and shit. And I worked at Disney at the time and I was so excited for it. I was like, yes, I'm going to get to go see John Carter. And then I got like all, I've got, I still had like all this John Carter merchandise like, I reckon... We're moving house right now. I just found a fucking John Carter notepad from oh, <laughs> from a decade ago. And but and that's the only one where I'm like, that feels like it. But obviously, Avatar is inspired by John Carter, the books and, like, the Edgar Rice Burroughs stuff. But also, people always test you. They go, like, oh, give me one quote from Avatar. What's one thing from Avatar? People don't remember anything. I'm like, Jake Sully, dude. Jake Sully, I see you, Pandora, Unobtainium, Natiri, Navi. Whenever people would say that, I had all those examples just lined <laughs> up, ready to go. I know all this. I see you, dude. And then you know what? I don't see you. Respect Avatar. Put respect on Cameron James. I mean, James Cameron's name. <laughs> 
Come on, Respect dude. Respect both of them, dude. Tell me some freaking slack over here. Different names, different fellas. <laughs> different fellas. Put respect on both of them, dude. I And for people that say that Avatar has no cultural footprint, let me just say this. Jake Sully was so charismatic as a leading character, they gave him his own movie. <laughs> and I didn't see it, but it was called Sully, and they got Tom Hanks to take over the role. Yeah. And this time, he's flying just in Earth. Yeah. They said that this Jake Sully, or Sully, however you want to pronounce it, it's like Hamlet. Every actor needs to get a chance. Who do you reckon will be next to take on the role of Sully? God, I would love to see... I would love to see John Goodman put that suit back on and become Sully one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd really love to see him do it one more time. The first yeah. blue Sully did? Come yeah. on, man. We got to give it back to him. We got to give it back to Goodman. And you know what? We got to dive into this movie. Let's do it. We're going to dive through the Hallelujah Mountains onto a dragon and fly through the beautiful skies of Pandora. You Jake Sully? I'd like to talk to you about a fresh start on a new world. You'd be making a difference. I became a Marine for the hardship. I told myself I can pass any test a man can pass. All I ever wanted was a single thing worth fighting for. Ladies and gentlemen, you are not in Kansas anymore. You're on Pandora. You should see your faces. We have an indigenous population called the Na'vi. They are very hard to kill. This is why we're here. Because this little gray rock sells for 20 million a kilo. Their village happens to be resting on the richest deposit and they need to relocate. Those savages are threatening our whole operation. We're on the brink of war and you're supposed to be finding a diplomatic solution concept is to drive these remotely controlled bodies called avatars. They're grown from human DNA mixed with DNA of the natives. Marine in an avatar body. That's a potent mix. You get me what I need, I'll see to it you get your legs, babe. Your real legs. Hell yeah, sir. Looks like you. This is your avatar. Just relax and let your mind go blank. It shouldn't be hard for you. simple. I want you to learn from the inside. I want you to gain their trust. You should not be here. Go back. All well, this is your fault. I need your help. Stop him. Well, I guess we better stop him. 
take whatever they want. But we will send them a message. That this... This is our land! Avatar 2009, directed by James Cameron. Enter the world of Pandora. In the 22nd century, a paraplegic marine is dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission, but becomes torn between following orders and protecting an alien civilization. Um, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that technically is true. Um, but I think there's more to it than that. It's uh, This is not just about one man and his emotional feelings about being torn between aliens and people. This is James Cameron's 40-plus-year obsession with environmentalism. Yes. And I respect that about it. I respect that this is an idea that was born out of him getting high in college or at CalArts, or wherever the fuck he went. Or with Joe Dante and Roger <laughs> Corman. Yeah, and just, like, talking about how the world is fucked and how we're mining mm. it and stripping rainforests and we need to do something about it and I'm going to make a movie about it that represents that. I respect that. But I also think that by 2009, when there'd already been, like, 50 versions of this story, mm. I don't think he needed to do it anymore. Mm. And I I started to feel, like, a bit gross about the environmental message because I kept watching the film and seeing future Disneyland parks yeah. and yes. rides, and all I could see was the dollars. I couldn't see the message anymore. I think that's so interesting because, for me, re-watching this movie, I was excited to re-watch it, but... I was surprised, not surprised because I knew this going in, of course, but when we look at how far blockbusters have come in the decades since then and how the way that entertainment blockbusters have changed to become like just to become exclusively escapism for the most part. Like we look at blockbusters and they're just entertainment. Very rarely are there blockbusters that have, that come with a message of some kind of, mm. of something to kind of mull over, to have a conversation. That's not just like how sick was it when Captain America picked up force hammer and fucked the guy with it. That and was him up, sick you know? though. That was sick. In all fairness to that, that was a sick moment. That was a sick moment. That was and honestly, officially sick. I place I I've got a little book that I write down all the sickest moments of things I've seen in movies. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I wrote honorable mention that sick ass moment where Thor picks up where Thor is no longer worthy and then Captain America pick up the hammer and like fuck shit up with it. Should I was we, like honorable should mention. Should we officially check that as one of the sickest moments in cinema right now? Yeah. We're checking it. It's official. It's a sick moment. <laughs> But like, you know, Blockbuster Entertainment has really diluted to become stuff like that. And a lot of people, that's the only thing they'll see is those movies. So it's it was really almost shocking to go back and watch this movie from 10 years ago that was the biggest movie of all time. Currently, I think globally, it still has the highest uh, the highest box office gross of all time, I think on a global level. And to see that it is not just a movie that is like 
a, has this strong, broad, big environmentalist message, but also has like this huge, strong anti-colonialism message yeah. as well. And like you look at now, it's like where the, mm. you only get that in like smaller movies where they can take a risk. This is the biggest, most expensive movie. And it is all about these two things that now, 10 years later, we are really like we've always been dealing with these problems, of course, but now it's never become more obvious, like how fucked up like colonialism is, how fucked up and like the the lack of an environmental effort to push environmentalism further as like an uh, as a political idealism as well. It's like it's crazy that the biggest movie of all time has those things. And then what now we don't do that stuff in movies. That's true. And look, I do respect it. I think it's cool that he's kind of always had this environmental side to him. He's he's an environmentalist and an activist. Absolutely. And he's known for that and he does it publicly. Um, I think it's cool that he did that. I think it's cool that he made a blockbuster that was incredibly anti-colonialist. I also think it's cool that for most of his career, he's made movies where the villain are corporations. Yes. Look at every one of his fucking movies, except for maybe Piranha. I haven't seen it. but I haven't seen it. They could do that shit in there. I don't know. But it's like the bad guys in Terminator are like Cyberdyne Industries and Skynet. Mm. The bad guys in Aliens are the company that send people to that fucking planet or whatever it is. Yeah. Titanic is the sh- the people that insist on doing this maiden voyage even though the ship's not ready. This one is whatever the name of the big company is that's ripping up uh, the planet. It's all yep. very cool that he's always hated corporations and always made that the villain. But at the same time... Is there any more of a company man in Hollywood than James Cameron? Really? Like he's Oh, he's for made, sure. Yes, dude. There are hundreds made, of them. Oh, come on, man. He's made like more money for Hollywood than almost anyone. And at the moment Disney, like I know yes. Disney bought Avatar, but like he's made money for all these people more than anyone else, I would say. But I think it's off the back of him experimenting and making wild... I can't believe I'm defending James Cameron. Honestly, like, I can't <laughs> believe it. I can't believe it. But, you know, there's more people... There's so many more people like that that I would describe as a company in the man that I wouldn't put, initially put that upon him. Like, I think John Favreau is, like, such a big company man, and I still love his work. I mm. think that every Marvel filmmaker is a company man, first and foremost, whereas James Cameron, to me, is someone that is still... Always his mission is to elevate the form of cinema and to elevate the technology of cinema and to continue that evolution. And I think that the work that he makes is bold. It's always, it is always his vision. I don't think he's, I think he's, it's hard to describe him as a company man for me because I can't think of another director that is as big as him that is that unwilling to compromise. Like, you know, right. we should have had the two Avatar sequels by now, but because of his unwillingness to compromise on his vision, we're still probably like 10 years away from those movies coming out because he wants them to be it. And he's saying that I'm in the Avatar business. I don't even think of him as the film business anymore because he just wants to keep making this world and living in Pandora. And he's the only one living there. No one else lives in Pandora right now. <laughs> Do you know when... The, my, my first psycho avatar moment where like I loved I really liked this movie 
I, I think I loved it at the time, but then I stopped. But I've always had a fondness for it because I'm like, it's so crazy. The biggest movie of all time is this one crazy movie. And it's not like a big franchise or anything yet. Mm. And I think probably like five or six years ago when they started making Avatar 2. And I read an article about Kate Winslet. Just about Kate Winslet. Not Kate Winslet's involvement with Avatar 2. It was just mentioning her in an article. And they described her as the Avatar 2 actress Kate Winslet. And I'm like, this doesn't exist. You can't call her that. <laughs> it does not exist. It's not real yet. You can't call her that. She's an Oscar-winning actor. You can't call her the Avatar 2 star. Call her Titanic star. People know her from that. No one registers Avatar 2 as Kate Winslet. <laughs> it's insane, man. I I, I got to give it to him. Yeah, it is. it is incredibly bold. And I'd seen a lot of the imagery for it before, mm. uh, but but watching it on my 33-inch TV... And Normal my, size, I'll give you that. My iPhone 11. Wow, you got an 11. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, actually, it would look stunning on that. Yeah, it looked, it looked better than on my TV. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> that high retina display. It actually might... I think Cameron would be really appreciative of that. He'd be like... Yeah, Sonny Boy, you got it. it. Looks good on there. I give you that. <laughs> so, the whole movie is beautiful, even now, eleven years mm-hmm. later. Like it, the whole thing looks like. I mean, all of you have probably seen it. You know what it looks like. It looks like the fucking posters that you see on the wall of kids from the seventies. Mm. Like if you were watching that seventies show, they're smoking weed down in the basement. You know, you got yeah. Kutcher there, you got Topher there, Laura Prepon's <laughs> there. Laura Prepon, dude. Oh, my God. Mila Kunis is there. Oh, and God. Course... I'm making a meal out of her Kunis right there. She's hanging <laughs> out with us. Of course, Fez is there, too. Oh, wow. Vilma Valderrama, thank Vilma God, Valderrama he's here. Vilma Valderrama is there. It's 1970-something. It's that 70s show. They're smoking weed. Mm-hmm. The, the lights dim. There are some black light, glow-in-the-dark posters on the wall mm-hmm. of bands like The Grateful Dead and stuff like that. It's showing fantastic science fiction imagery of floating mountains and dragons and aliens. That is what the whole movie looks like. It looks like mm. the shit that I imagine was on Jim Cameron's dorm room wall at CalArts yeah. back in the late 60s. And, um, and that's great. It's awesome to look at. It's so cool. But I also don't think I need to see any more of it. Mm. I think That's I want to go to the Disneyland part. Yeah. I just don't <laughs> think I want to see it anymore on screen. Oh, my God. I can't wait to go back to Pandora, dude. <laughs> oh, watching this movie up. again, I fell in <laughs> love with Pandora all over again. I remember when it came out, there were all these like articles of people getting like seasonal depressive di- seasonal depressive disorder because of this movie going like they feeling upset that they could never go to Pandora and like I relate to that now. Oh I'm like, my I god! I want to go. I want to go. <laughs> it's so beautiful. I will go to Disneyland for it instead. Yeah, I think so. Finally, eventually, when we're allowed back into the states and when first stop know, Pandora, baby. Is- <laughs> I think Pandora, if I was living in America right now and I wanted to escape, <laughs> I would move to Pandora. Yeah. You know, there's not that many people walking around Pandora land, you know? It's a good place to isolate. Yeah, I would isolate in Pandora up on one of the Hallelujah Mountains. Wow. 
all of that fantastical imagery is really so evocative still. Like, I think all the way that they integrate the flora and the fauna and make them feel like things that are kind of familiar to us, but also completely alien as well, is a testament to Jim's imagination and to his creativity in kind of creating worlds. And yes, I am going to call him freaking Jim the whole time. Yeah, okay? I don't think that one got by me. I, I, I saw you smirk. I saw you freaking smirk, dude. I saw you freaking smirk as I called him Jim. Okay, what do you want me to do? Call him... I'm going to fuck up his Mr. name Cameron. every time. Mr. Mr. Cameron. I feel like I'm getting in trouble if I'm calling also, you Mr. Cameron. call me Mr. Cameron as well. <laughs> Mr. Cameron. Okay, Mr. Cameron. In Mr. Cameron's film uh, of Avatar, the beautiful cinematography captures this stunning creatures in this gorgeous way. But I think, like, you know, seeing these creatures that, like, you can see oh, this one is like their equivalent of a wolf and this one's the equivalent of a horse and all those mm. things. But then seeing like how truly different they are and how they're integrated into the movie into like this spiritual way. Like I think that the only way you can kind of get away mm. with, you can only get away with that white savior thing without it feeling truly icky to me is a way that they do it in this movie by making it like this big, broad blockbuster style entertainment it makes it feel like it's trying to get this deeper message across in a really broad and less nuanced context. So I feel like when it's done sincerely in films like The Last Samurai in Dances with Wolves, it it, it does carry that ickiness to it. But when we're seeing it as like this more overtly and allegorical way of how to dispel messages, the way that storytelling and fantasy storytelling has always done, it feels more positively sincere. And I think it's clever the way that James Cameron, uh, what I'm trying to get at here is I think that the way that James Cameron uh, uses like the traditional teaching of like indigenous cultures from around the world to create uh, this science or this fantasy world, I think is really quite touching the way that he does it and really clever because, you know, in Australia we do study like the, in our indigenous peoples, uh, our indigenous peoples mythology and historical uh, belief in the dream time as like this spiritual plane, the indigenous spirituality of Australia as dream time and how the people have this connection to the earth. And I think that having this uh, and connection to the earth and the land and having this connection, this disconnection of like white colonists, not having that connection to relate to, not having that context to relate to those things, the way that he does in this film to access that, is to me really special and magical using like this film was made in New Zealand. So he incorporates a lot of Maori culture in there. I spoke to Maria Lewis about that, how the way that he uses Maori culture and like the ICU as kind of like a greeting uh, inspired by greeting in Maori and seeing the way that they kind of like literally integrate the people into their place and how they integrate into the land and to their flora and fauna around them with like that spiritual weird literal connection that they have in like their head tail. Like my dad is um, a human geographer where he uh, talks like his whole studies about like the people in the places they live. So he's always worked in indigenous communities uh, and like talking about that very specific thing. And like I was talking to him about like this and he was like, yeah, it's pretty amazing the way that he's able to distill this really complex 
spiritual phenomenon and spiritual connection and literalize it in this way to make it like an actual physical thing is like genius. Yeah, right. I did love that side of the of the film. And it's kind of there from the beginning, obviously. Like the first time Jake lands on um, Pandora, he's overwhelmed by these giant digging machines and trucks and stuff like that. But then when he... Uh, enters his avatar body, the first thing he does is run out the door and, like, dig his feet into the dirt. And there's a big, like, glory shot of him enjoying the fact that he's able to use his legs again, but also that he's able to feel the dirt of of Pandora. And I thought that was a really beautiful image. Even though I knew it was going to be an incredibly environmental movie, I thought that was a really nice way to do it, like him digging his feet into the ground and like enjoying that feeling. Something everyone has done when they go to the beach and stuff like that. So I will say I was I was moved at times during this film. I was moved by the home tree or whatever they call it. I was moved by the idea that um Zoe Saldana's character is sad when she has to kill animals, even if they're attacking her people. I thought that was very cool and touching that there's there's a there's a hope that you are all connected and when you have to break that connection that is upsetting and physically hurts you. I liked all the environmental shit. I just wish that I wasn't watching dollar signs the whole time on the screen because that's at a certain point that's kind of all I felt like I was looking at. I think it is I think it's like a really valid criticism because like you look at stuff like movies like this where it does feel complicated like its moral message feels complicated by its budget and how big it is like you think of like other movies like Fight Club where it's been so misinterpreted and it's also because of like that budget like if it was like an honest to its message it would have been made for like 10 million dollars not for like whatever 68 billion dollars or whatever it cost to make that movie. Mm. And also, like, I, at a certain point of the movie, I, I kind of couldn't move beyond the white saviour thing. Mm, true. Because it just it really lays into it. Like, there's no way around it. There's a part of the movie, like, at first he kind of sucks at being a Na'vi and he, like, doesn't really know how to use his body and he's not a good warrior and he, he doesn't know how to, like, move amongst the forest. He keeps falling over and shit. And then there's a certain point where all of a sudden... He just becomes the best Na'vi there. Like, he can fucking tame that big dragon and he can fight really well and all this shit. And everyone, like, sees him as a hero and as probably more of a leader than, like, Zoe's character and the other guy and all that shit. And I was just like, oh, come on. This can't spin. This can't spin a Na'vi for, like, six months. Just. Can't he just be, like. He can be good, but does he have to be the leader? Yeah, I think it when he becomes like the de facto leader of things, it's done in a way where it's like a little bit sensitive to it, which I think almost makes it harder to take. Whereas like, I'm going to say this and you translate it. I, you're the leader talking to like the uh, Lazo Alonso character, Tsute yeah. is who he's speaking to. I think that like, I think it's because it's like this weird half step where it was more like, hey, I want to help, but I want to be your advisor. I know these people. I can help you get into them and, like, defeat them in this way. But I think because he's taking on, like, this strong leadership role with just, like, it is this weird half-step that just seems like, you know, 
it doesn't go all the way there. But I don't know. I think that I don't know. It's hard. I find it hard to discuss this movie because it's so different to the way that we talk about blockbusters now, where we are talking about like these complexities in it that we whenever we had to like talk about like spider-man or star wars or anything we're talking about them as like these self-reflexive things and like how they represent their their own legacy like when we talk about all these legacy sequels we're talking about how they represent their own legacy as like these pieces of genres these pieces of art when we're talking about this and we were talking about its complexities with its message which mm. is like it's really it's so bizarre to look back at this only 10 years ago and to just see how far things have changed or how far things feel like they haven't changed. Very true, very true. Um I want to talk a little bit about some of the criticisms that people have made about this yeah. movie and whether I thought they're valid 11 yes. years later. I want to hear um, this. Okay, so a lot of people around that time were shitting on Sam Worthington's performance. Okay, were though. And Newca- on, he's a Newcastle boy, right? I actually don't know if he's from Newcastle, but uh, but you know he's an Aussie. He's one of Is us. He in, he's in Bootman, right? I think he might be in Bootman. Yeah, that makes him a Newcastle guy default, isn't it? <laughs> I guess so. If you're in <laughs> Bootman, you are Newcastle. You're a Novocastrian, and you are my blood. You're my brethren, and um, I see you. <laughs> but uh, Sam Worthington was around this time. He was kind of known in Australia. He'd been in some relatively big indie films like Somersault and mm-hmm. um, that ACDC one that I can never remember the name of. Oh, Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck. Getting Square. I love Getting, Getting Square. Square. He's great in Getting Square. And then it sort of seemed like out of nowhere, he was plucked to be in this film. And as a result of this production, he was then cast in... Terminator Salvation and Clash of the Titans and all that kind of shit. And there was there was a two or three year window there where he was in like like three or four big blockbusters. None of which really had a lasting impact on his career, I would say. He kind of disappeared after it. And there was criticisms about him being like too wooden or you know, not charming or whatever. And I got to say, from watching this movie 11 years later, everyone who made those criticisms is a fucking idiot. Sam though rules. Oh, my God. I did not anticipate I'm a Wertho convert. I think he's great. I think the Hemsworths uh, are much more like... uh, I don't know, like mainstream ready. They're like... they're. They're yummier. They're yummier. Sure, sure. They're yummier. I think Wertho is a better actor than all of them. I don't know. I I mean, I, back in the day in Australia, you know, we saw Worthington as maybe the successor to our Heath Ledger because he was appearing in the similar types of movies in Australia. Like, listen, okay, yes, Getting Square is like the Sunshine Coast answer to Two Hands. It's a mm-hmm. one-for-one, dude. It's a one-for-one between those movies. Yes, Somersault is very much candy. It's candy, yeah. but more palatable, okay? It's like can- cocaine. If candy is heroin, it's cocaine. <laughs> but it is... Uh, so we kind of saw him as like this kind of like indie darling, but he wasn't 
as deep of a method actor. You never were like, oh, he's a chameleon. He just seemed like someone who was like a leading man, very handsome. Mm. And I, I remember really rooting for him making this tradition, like this transition to Hollywood. And seeing him in this film and rewatching it now, it's, for me, the accent was really hard to get around. I think that he is like, he should be playing Australian in this movie because he sounds Australian almost 100% of the way. Uh, probably, but I think he does just as good a job as Chris Hemsworth does at doing an accent. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I've ever heard Chris Hemsworth do an American accent. He just does like a transatlantic accent. Like, I've only ever heard him do Th- Thor and Men in Black because I've never seen any of his other movies. <laughs> but the th- I think Sam Worthington is not an action star. Mm. And it's like this movie made him become one for a few years there. Yes. And... It shouldn't have because he doesn't do any action in this movie, really. Mm. Like yeah. the fucking Avatar does. His Avatar does it. His Avatar does it. And sure, he probably did the mocap for it and everything. But like, it's not really like you're watching him run around mm. and jump off things and swing on vines and fly dragons. You're watching a computer generated thing do it. But I think he really sells the emotional side. And I, I think yeah. maybe. He was miscast as an action star and he could have had a better career of just being a dramatic actor. Yeah, or doing like that Ed Burns thing, being a romantic lead in like mid-tier like romantic movies. (laughs) I think the stuff with him and Zoe Saldana in this movie, it is moving. I think that she's amazing in this movie. I love how she has like this like very protected... The way that she kind of talks at the side of her head, where she never makes like direct eye to eye eye contact, mm. she's always like looking at an angle and like pointing through her eyes and through her mouth and speaking out of the side that way in like this protective yet aggressive way. I think it's really a strong character choice. And there's a moment where I had no memory of this moment. And watching in the movie, it really moved me where after this final battle with the Stephen Lang character, who I think is also a terrific villain and a terrific villain performance, when she finds Jake Sully's real body as like this paraplegic man Mm. that has been uh, communicating with her through this avatar, when she finally sees him for the first time and she's cradling him and she's like, what, like 10 foot tall? And he's like this little baby in her hands and cradling him. That is a humongous science fantasy moment that is full of emotion. And when she says, I see you to him, and this whole relationship has been building on the concept of this idea of I see you, where I don't just see you standing in front of me, I see into your soul, I see who you are, I see who you really are, to this movie's climax to be a moment where for the first time, they see each other with their real eyes and their real bodies and touch each other with their original Mm. bodies and original eyes. I was like, holy fuck, this is like a next level moment of like Wachowski-isms of things or the future of things I can't even like like express. And seeing in this way, I'm like translated to like a science fantasy picture. I'm like, fucking hell, that's incredible moments. Really yeah, moving love stuff. Love that. And also, aside from being emotional, my first thought was, wouldn't you want to fuck her when you were like yeah. baby-sized? It would be incredible. It would be really... It would be a next level experience. It's like a... That's, I think, more the fantasy that came awoke for people watching this movie. It oh, awoke yeah. fetishisms. 
I mean, we we danced around a little bit at the start. Uh, you you mentioned that I am a bit of a CGI cat expert at the moment. Mm-hmm. I've just just wrapped up my seven episode mini series with Ben Elwood all about the movie Cats. The last episode you guys did incredible. Matt Singer, one of my favorite critics, incredible insight into that movie, and of course Skimble Shanks. Yeah, we got uh, we got Skimble Shanks. We got Stephen McRae, and he. He was incredibly charming and wonderful, and Matt Singer was so funny, and it, it really—I think we really tied it up really nicely. But I've spent—I've spent months now watching the current version of what CGI mm. cat people looks like. To watch this version from eleven years ago uh, on my phone and on my thirty-three-inch TV, uh, <laughs> I think. I actually think that they're better looking than the movie Cats. I they're hotter, for sure. They're way hotter. They're just way hotter, aren't they? Yeah. And that's that's really all it comes down to, I think. Yeah, I <laughs> like that, looking at them more. Yeah, I just like looking at them. And I also think that this this movie... What was this rated? Because it's it, sh- it should be fucking R for <laughs> rock hard. <laughs> Because I don't, I think it was a G or a PG movie or something. And it's I think like, it was M. I think because there's people getting spears and like arrows shot through their entire body. Yeah, it was unnervingly sexy, and mm. I knew it was going to be because a lot of people said that. That was one of the criticisms from a lot of people warned you, Cameron, let, don't go in, don't go. You're going to get turned on, and Cameron, it might be a heartbreak hotel situation. You go, you check in, but you don't check out. <laughs> It was like Puss in Boots all over again, man. It was uh, (laughs) scary how hot they were. And I mean, that's the only only thing that would bring me back to the sequels. Really? To go like, I got to cop another look. (laughs) Yeah, Zoe Saldana's one is absurd. But also, she's just a very beautiful person, so... But I, I just it just confused me because I was watching it and I felt the same way I felt when I was watching Cats where I was just like, who is this for? Like, isn't this a movie for children? Why is it so sexual and so violent? I don't understand. Well, I don't think it's... I think it is violent, but every movie for kids is violent as well. And I think that the way that it deals with sexuality is not pornographic. This is spiritual. This is, if anything, this is a movie for people that uh, would do a promise ring style thing because it's all about like this connection is sacred. Yes, you're connecting to everything. You're connecting to the world, but you, when you connect with your partner, your your soulmate, your being, it is sacred. It's a sacred bond. Yes, that sacred bond can also be with a dragon or a little wolf creature or a horse, but that bond is sacred and it is special. And that gorgeous little genital that pops out of their head, I, honestly, I it would feel amazing. <laughs> Like that would feel that would really feel insane. So that's like their that's their that's everything, right? That's their dick and I pussy. I think it, it's like the, the cloaca. Yeah, because there's a part where he's looking at his for the first time, and Sigourney Weaver says, "Don't play with that; you'll go blind." Yeah. And I was like, "Oh shit! You can jerk off with it." And do they all have it? They've all got it. Yeah, even Except the animals. The animals all have it. The trees all have it. Everything has it. Everything has it. You could fuck everything in that forest. 
It's like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, except instead of all being edible, it's all fuckable. <laughs> Shit. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess everything is in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Yeah, too, I mean, yeah. Yeah, Wonder Lights turn off. I mean, you can do whatever. <laughs> yeah. If there's no way in hell that you could convince me that Willy Wonka, when the lights went off, didn't just wander around that candy land and stick his dick into flowers and stuff like that. Yeah, come on, dude. As if he wouldn't. He's the boss. He's the boss. He's the boss, dude. God almighty. I think Avatar is so special. You love it. <laughs> I love it. I'm back all in. My main criticism would be that like, watching it in a cinema in that 3D was truly a mind-blowing moment. Like, it really, it was spectacular to see Jake Sully leap onto Toruk's back and connect with him, and seeing him connect with that giant beast. And, like, at the time, I really felt that I was flying when I was watching it. Like, I felt that moment. Don't shake your head. Oh, my God. Cinema is a transportive experience, dude. It's It's a transportive art. Do you want to see the sequels? Yes, I will be there day one. If I don't get into the press screening, I will be paying like a minimum $100 to get it in the best. I will pay whatever it takes to go back to Pandora. (laughs) 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 I will pay whatever it takes, dude. I want to. um, I read a statement from the producer of um, the sequels and this one that's coming out soon uh, because they just resumed production in uh, New Zealand. And wow. the producer was like, the sequel, Avatar 2, is going to follow Jake Sully and his family as they explore all the new different parts of Pandora, yes. like the water. And I was like... I believe it's underwater. I just don't care. I don't want to see that. Like, I, Are you serious? I've already seen what the forest looks like, and it was very beautiful and very cool, but it didn't make me want to go, oh, what are the other terrains like? What's the desert like in this fucking mm. place? I don't know, I'm, but I'm... I, I feel like I have that lacking in me because I never want to see other people's fantasy worlds. Wow. you Because your fantasy world is perfect. Because in my fantasy world, it's just me, Puss in Boots, and Blue Zoe Saldana. And Goldie from Pinocchio. Wrapping our friggin' tails around each other <laughs> and going buck wild. That's my fantasy. Me, Neytiri, Goldie... Puss in Boots, hot tub, dude. Jacuzzi style. <laughs> That's my fantasy. Like, and no, no billion dollar investment from Jim Cameron can really top that, dude. If I'm getting topped from Puss in Boots, I'm not going to be topped by anything else. <laughs> i got to say, though, if I see the trailer and it looks cool, I mean, I'm likely to go, right? Like, at the end of the day, mm. if, if there's two or three incredibly beautiful and inventive images in that trailer, then I will be won over. Vin Diesel's in it. I'm one over. There you go. That's, <laughs> Vin Diesel is the most beautiful and inventive image I can imagine. <laughs> I can't. I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if he's going to be a character, a creature, he's gonna or what. He's going to play Groot, dude. He's going to play Groot. Oh, that actually would be mind-melding if he played Groot in it. But this movie's got Michelle Rodriguez in it. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And awesome. she's just playing Letty. It rules. Yeah, she's Letty in this. It would sick. be awesome if it was just revealed like, yeah, yeah, like Letty was my grandma. <laughs> he was like, yeah, yeah, Letty's my grandma, dude She rules Yeah, she was sick in it In fact, the cast was great Everyone was good Yeah 
I think Stephen Lang as the villain in this movie, like the key villain, Colonel Colonel Quartek, is such like the perfect like heavy villain in these films. I think he's. I really wish that he had like a more explosive career after this movie. He's done stuff like Don't Breathe, of course, which I think is also fabulous. In that's kind of all I know him from. He's so intimidating. I think that. And he's having a blast playing this character as well. Of like, you know, a lot of the, a lot of our heroes, the characters that we have to empathize with in this movie, like your Zoe Saldana's, like your Michelle Rodriguez, and your Sigourney Weaver, uh, and like your CJ Pounder West Studi as well as like the leaders of the Navi tribe that we're with in this film. They do such a good job of like bringing the heightened cinematic drama and reality to these characters and making them likable and allowing us to be with them. But then Stephen Lang and Gianni, uh, Giovanni Ribisi as playing like these like absolutely unempathetic, unsympathetic, like corporate villains and colonial yeah. villains. It is so good in this movie. I think that they're both like so enjoyable that dislike and hate. Yeah. I always like it when one of these movies gives you a villain that you're allowed to just hate. Mm. without having any shred of humanity about them. Because I find, like, so many films, and and I love this too, give the bad guy, like, a nice emotional arc so that we're kind of conflicted by our hate for them. The Marvel movies do this a lot. I just love that this one is like, no, 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 they're bad. Giovanni Ribisi sucks. He's rude to everyone around him. (laughs) He's he's like a dickhead to Sigourney Weaver. He snaps at the guy who is controlling the CG map. Yeah. And he's like a fucking brat and he wears a suit. And yeah. that um, He looks Colonel... like a slime the entire time. He's <laughs> playing Colonel fucking Miles... golf with a little mug on oh, the ground yeah, and like totally. the classic like millionaire like corporate leader fuckhead. And even yeah. even two centuries from now, that's what they that's how they interpret them. Yeah. If you've got a little rollout um golf mat <laughs> in your in like a war room situation, news flash, you suck. <laughs> You fucking suck. And then you've got, yeah, Stephen Lang as Colonel Miles Quaritch, who is so bad, this motherfucker doesn't even wear sleeves. Yes. So we're, we're given permission to hate him right away because he's just sleeveless. And you yeah. just go, oh, I hate this sleeveless guy. Old man, big muscles, fuck off. Yeah, F you, dude. You're a villain, dude. You're a villain, dude. Suck I... my dick. <laughs> villain sucketh my cock, okay? <laughs> Come sucketh, dude. <laughs> I think that one of my main criticisms of this would be that the visual style of Pandora is incredible. And I think it is interesting how in contrast to that, the the kind of like boring, militaristic, like overtly technological uh, aesthetic of the colonists is kind of very bland and boring and like sci-fi 101 Mm. boring aesthetic. But I think that the cinematography is interesting in this movie because it is only about creating the visual it's it's very much in that kind of like digital handheld style where it's like oh digital steady cam if anything where it's not exactly locked off but it's a way to kind of ground us into the cgi effects and going like this is real what we're mm. looking at is real it's not just gonna be locked off shots and i think it's effective in doing that but seeing it in 2d at home on a tv i think that 
so much of this movie is in aid of that 3D effect of creating depth. And I think because it being in a 2D vision now, that depth is kind of lost and muddied. So mm. I think that, you know, it's not ideal to watch this at home in without 3D technology. And it's, I don't know, it was a shame to not see it in that format, like to lose a bit of that magic of the idea of like this endless world and like coming into this world and like seeing like these little floaters and like the the sky and the Hallelujah Mountains. I think that because we were so focused on the technology and creating the sense of reality and this sense of magic in that way that we lose a little bit of our traditional cinematic cinematic versions of creating magic. I I really don't like those digital crash zooms and digital focus pulls um, that this movie uses. And not just this movie... I think every Marvel movie has had it as part of their visual language as well. Like when Iron Man's flying and there'll be like a fake long lens shot that tries to find him and loses focus quickly and racks onto him again. I hate it. I think it it always takes me out of it. It looks fake. I know it's fake as well and that, that bums me out. And it's really, it's disappointing because... It's the it's tr- it's its goal is to do exactly the opposite of that. It's yeah, trying to exactly. teach your eyes of like this is real. You're seeing it the way that you see a normal movie. But even though that's like often like it, like to have like the rest of the Marvel movies when it's just like fucking like Star Lord or whatever, or even Jake Sully in this walking around, we're not having a rack of focus on him. We're not trying to find him in those moments. It's only in those digital moments to sell them. So you're like betraying the visual aesthetic of your film to kind of yeah. bring these these big like muddy effects into reality. So I think it's like, I think that it always has the opposite effect of that. Whereas you watch someone like Spielberg doing like Tintin, he never does that. He's doing stuff with a camera that is not possible. He's trying to like create these moments like, well, I'm not, this isn't real. So I can do literally whatever I want. And he's not (laughs) as worried about trying to keep you into that reality because he just trusts that you know how to watch movies already or trust his visual language enough to not have to like handhold you through it. I will say as someone who never saw the 3d experience of this, the effects pretty much hold up. I think it still looks, it still Mm. looks very impressive. The character design obviously is incredibly impressive. (laughs) The forest (laughs) is very good too. Like I love all that shit. I think it looks great. I think it's exciting. There was a point in this movie when um, when Jake Sully starts attacking one of the tree chopper machine, mm. like truck things. Yeah, where I I was going like, man, I think I love this movie. Like it's quite wow. beautiful, mm. and the relationship stuff is nice, and I like watching him attack the corporation. I think I really love this movie and it feels like it's ramping up towards its ending. How long is left? I touched my remote. There was an hour and five minutes left and that was when I was like, come on, man. I don't know. I just don't know if it needed to be two hours and 50 minutes or whatever. Yeah, I know. Seeing the runtime of this, it does, especially coming at this time, you do feel that like run on effect of like, I think I've always blamed Lord of the Rings for this. I'm famously, I talk about how I love an 87 minute movie or less. Like I love that 90 minute mark. 
I think that the effect of Lord of the Rings being these ginormous epics that ran like two and a half to three hours plus, we saw that run on effect all through parts of the Caribbean. Every blockbuster, big entertainment movie became so big and long and expansive. And I think that Avatar is a big victim to that because, Definitely. you know, it's, I think that all the moments where they were exploring the world, they're moments that are worthy of being given this time. But then there's moments that I feel like are not quite worthy of that runtime. Well, it's just, um, I feel like they, or like James Cameron was really thinking, I might not get to make another couple of these. Yeah. So I'm going to put everything in that I want to put in, Mm. that I want to see in this world within reason, and it just got overstaffed. There's just there's, so much happening. We there's meet- too many moments of fucking Sam Wertho doing his little MySpace vlogs, dude. Like, him talking there's to There's a lot Cap- of that. And then we, we learn so much about the planet in that whole time. We learn about the tree that gives life and mm. how everything's connected. Like, all this stuff that could have been world-building and saved for sequels, because I imagine... He was like, well, I might not get to make another couple of these. And for all we know, two and three and four or whatever might never come out. Do you think that they will if when they do or if they do come out? I it, There's so much invested into these. I think that if they exist in any form, they will come out and they will be spectacular. But do you think they will be hits? It's really hard to tell, isn't it? Because... So much has been made about the lack of cultural footprint of Avatar. Mm. and Which weirdly is its cultural footprint. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like, Disneyland spent all this money making a Pandora world um, on the basis that the sequels would be out, like, mm. five years ago. Yeah. And they weren't. So there's been a lot of ink being spilled about how it's, like, a a big waste of money and and there's no plan, and it's all falling apart, and people don't care about these movies, and maybe they don't, but I think, like we saw with the first one, people will go see anything if it looks spectacular enough in the trailers, and if there's some cool technological reason to go. You know, people went to see 3D last time. Will that bring them back this time? I don't know. I don't know, I th- but maybe it could be trying to develop that 4DX technology is the way to get people to come back to see something big like this and like give mm. give people that experience of nostalgia now 10 years later of like going you're going to see and feel something that you've never seen before. Yeah, who knows? Because I mean, did James Cameron make another movie in between these? Uh I think he did. He's produced a lot of movies. I remember he made an Australian, produced an Australian movie called Sanctum, which was also like 3D technology used underwater and stuff about like, uh, that was not too long after this. He also developed Alita Battle Angel, which was meant to be his film. uh, And then he decided to do Avatar instead. And he is like the creative producer and helped make that with Rodriguez. It was also a creative producer or like in, producer with some creative input on the new Terminator film. Uh, mm-hmm. But I don't think he's directed anything apart from some documentary stuff since then. 
Um, so it's kind of like, you know, he is one of the biggest filmmakers of all time. So I do, I am really interested in what he does next. I'm looking at the cast, uh, of people returning, Sam Worthington, Zoe Saldana, Stephen Lang, Giovanni Ribisi, Joel David Moore, Dilip Rao, CCH Pounder, Matt Gerald are reprising their roles from the original film with Sigourney Reva returning in a different role, apparently. But then new cast members include Kate Winslet, of course, of Avatar 2 fame. Cliff yep. Curtis, of course, who I, I think is a wonderful actor. He's that Maori star who has played basically every in oh, every yeah. movie as like some difference. He's been definitely cast as someone who is ethically ambiguous by Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. But he yeah. is fabulous. I'd love to see him in this. Edie Falco. Mm, I love Edie Falco. Brendan Cow. Wow, okay. Australian theatre legend. And the grub, Michelle yep. Yeoh, Jermaine <laughs> Clement, Una Chaplin, David Thewlis, CJ oh, Jones. I love and David Thewlis. Vin Diesel. And I love my boy Vin, obviously. Yeah, I'm so excited to see what they do with Vin Diesel in this. I can't. Yeah, there's. I mean, it's impressive cast. And obviously, it'll be his first film in over a decade. So maybe that's enough to bring people back mm. to Titanic. I hope so. I hope yeah. they uncover Titanic in this underwater world. Me too. Um, and I really hope they finally make it official and sing Colors of the Wind at the end. All the avatars oh, get together and sing it. They all come together. <laughs> that would be amazing. If they just like, the whole thing is like, well, we're putting on a regional production of Disney's Pocahontas, a stage version of it. It's like a waiting for Guffman, but on Pandora. I love that. That's that's the main thing that would bring me back is if they turned it into a Christopher Guest comedy. I'd love that. Um, but yeah, I'm. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent keen on seeing more of it. But if you go and you get excited, I would definitely come along to see you get excited and to to visit Pandora with you and maybe see it the way that you saw it. Wow. When I look at this movie. I say, I see you. Yeah, yeah. I see you, James Cameron. I look into your soul. I see you. Come on, dude. That's not my name. Oh, shit. Sorry, dude. Sorry, dude. (laughs) (laughs) But that was Avatar. I can't believe it. That brings us perhaps to the end of our little foray into the world of ripoffs for now. Next episode is official it is episode 99 of Total Reboot. Mm. Wow, we're, we're nearing the century. We're hitting it up. We're hitting that century. And the only way that we could bring in a new century, Cameron, on this podcast, starting with next episode, we are doing something that we've thought about doing for a long time. And also, other people have been suggesting to us for a long time as well. We've been, mm-hmm. anytime we put a call out in the Patreon group or on Twitter for series ideas this one is always mentioned in the top three mentions and we've avoided it until now we are going to be locked in the cage we're going to be talking about the reboots remakes and maybe rip-offs that star and feature the most interesting actor (laughs) of our time nicholas coppola Cage. I'm so excited about this. Nicolas Cage has been an actor that I've known my entire life, and I have ridden the roller coaster of admiring him, 
despising mm-hmm. him, being <laughs> amazed by him, and being sickened by him. And I can't <laughs> wait to see where I end up on this ride. Yeah, there's so many interesting movies and in this little batch that we're looking at that are just straight-up remakes that he is in. We're going to be starting with an off-forgotten movie that kind of helped start the trend of modern-day car car culture movies, I guess you would say. <laughs> car culture. Right, we're going to be starting with his remake of Gone in 60 Seconds, starring him and Angelina Jolie, uh, that predates The Fast and the Furious. Yep, yep. I saw this in cinemas. I haven't seen it since... Until now. And uh, I think this was... I saw this at peak cage worship era. Really? Yeah. Yeah, loved him. Loved him at this point. Wow. Because he was like a 90s action star, which is crazy to just describe Nicolas Cage (laughs) as a 90s action (laughs) hero star. That's insane. But that, of course, is a remake of a 1970s movie, which is kind of interesting in that it's like a long extended car chase. But we're going to be starting with that movie. Then we're going to be talking about some iconic Nicolas Cage remakes and the original movies they're based on. We're talking about Wicker Man, which is a wicker wicker, one of the craziest movies ever made. His remake of it is insane. It's going to be, it's kind of thought of almost like as a midnight movie classic. What are some of the other ones we're going to be looking at? We're going to be watching Bad Lieutenant because I don't, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen either of them, but he's in one called Bad Lieutenant Port of New Orleans. Is that right? Yes. Okay. The original Bad Lieutenant is like a weird Harvey Keitel, grimy New York movie where he plays a corrupt cop directed by Abel Ferreira. And then the remake or whatever is this crazy story of where they just took an original concept and just like, we need to give this a name that people recognize, Bad Lieutenant Porter Call New Orleans, directed by Werner Herzog. Yeah, crazy, 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 crazy. That's one that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. And what's the other one we're going to do? Oh, one of them, the, one, another one that we're going to do is like one of my all-time favorite movies. There's this great Vim Vendors, one of my heroes. I've talked about meeting him, Vim Diesel himself. Uh, he directed this beautiful classic I guess like art house classic of like international cinema wings of desire about angels looking over Berlin during like before the unification and stuff. And then there's a Nicholas cage remake set in Los Angeles, him and Meg Ryan called city of angels. Yeah. I've seen city of angels. Wow. Well, if I haven't seen it, I've definitely seen the, uh, Goo Goo dolls film clip. Oh wow. That's that. Yeah. That's that. And I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand. If you do that at karaoke, you will win. You'll win karaoke. You will win karaoke. Mm. So we're going to be looking at Nicolas Cage for the next few weeks. That's what our podcast is going to look like. We're going to be locked in the freaking cage with him. Locked in the cage for our 100 episodes spectacular. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Join us on our Nicolas Cage journey. Join us on Patreon if you haven't le- yet. We've got a bunch of new people who've joined us there. Thank you so much. Welcome. Welcome to the Facebook group, the Cinema File Registry. We love you there. Um, what else do we want to plug? Yeah, that's all over at patreon.com slash total reboot. Five bucks a month gets you access to that, including our mini series talking about the films of Quentin Tarantino and our favorite performances in those. Cameron, of course, has just wrapped up 
Wise Cats, and I adored the finale that you guys did. You and Ben Elwood did like this beautiful investigation into art on why cats exist in the way that it is. Beautiful. Thank you. Ben Elwood is so good. He's such a good podcaster. Like a, and for someone who doesn't really do it that much. I mean, I know he did Oink Time for a while, but that doesn't exist anymore. He's so natural. He's such a good interviewer. Uh, it was frustrating sometimes because he just knows how to carry an interview and knows how to lead people to great places that I... It's a skill that I have had to learn and I've learned a lot from working with him. Wow. I think we've got to get him locked in the cage with us eventually. Definitely. We've got to get him in the cage. Probably for um, Bad Lieutenant, I think. Oof, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Benny, if you're listening to this, we're locking you in now. You're locked in, buddy. Cam, before we say goodbye to you, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Golden Age Cinema who have started our online streaming service. We can get access to some cool curated art housey or more interesting films that are maybe a bit harder to kind of find on other streaming services, but they've got a great range and it's a way to help our local cinema if you've been missing the cinema and wanted ways to kind of help them come back and help them kind of stay afloat. So check out movie night. It's from golden age cinema here in Sydney that I, we, you and I collaborate with them a lot. Of course, our dearest friend, Kate Jinx, the curator there, she's does such an amazing job in like finding and helping people discover movies. So you can head over to moviesnights.algoldenage.com.au to stream movies from there and it helps local cinema and helps us get into a place where we can watch it. And if you're a big cage head, Mandy is streaming on there right now. Yeah, I actually um was scrolling this last night and just almost every selection they have on there is something that I've been saying, "Oh, I've been meaning to watch that." So I'm I'm going to check that out as well. That's very cool. Yeah, so shout out to them. Check it out. I'll put a link to them in the show notes as well so you can click right on through to them. And that's it, right? We don't have to say anything else? That is it. I need you to plug your Twitter and Instagram. In fact, I'll do mm-hmm. it for you. It's This Thank you. is Alexi on Instagram and Twitter. I am at I am Cameron James on both of those as well. Talk to us. Talk to us on our Twitter for this, which is Total Reboot Pod. Correct, Gungo. And talk to us on the street where lockdown has been lifted a little bit. We're going to be out mm-hmm. there. Come up to us. Make sure you're wearing a mask. Engage us in conversation about film. We love that. We love that. I actually met a, a, a lovely little cinephile out there as we were, lockdown was easing. I was walking around the streets of my neighborhood and who should I see but a lovely cinephile called Shay. So shout out to Shay. We had a lovely chat. A young man for a beautiful, bright future ahead of you. <laughs> and we do endorse you. <laughs> All right. That's it. Um, yes. What do, Should we do anything to sign off? Just say, guys, we shall see you in Pandora. And I hope to ride Torok one day. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. I'm going to press stop.